Welcome to Giving Connected, presented by Paisa Giving. We're happy you're able to join us today. Giving Connected was created to bring awareness to great nonprofits around the country. Hey guys, thanks for joining. Uh, today we're going to be interviewing the, the president and CEO of One Won't Code, Beth Amadio. Hey Beth, how's it going? Very well, thanks Joel. How are you? Good, and we're so excited to, to have you on. Um, you know, this is the first time you know meeting Beth, but she seems like an awesome person. We're, and, and, but, but beyond that, I think uh, One Won't Code is such a, such a cool nonprofit, um, one that we've been really excited to talk to for a while. So Really excited to talk about that, um, but before we get into uh, specifically the nonprofit, um, let's talk a little bit about you, Beth, um, just for background so people understand where you're coming from and your experience. Um, wh- how did you get started? Uh, where'd you grow up and how, what'd you go to school for? So almost all of my career has been in nonprofits. I grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is an interesting place because it is where the Manhattan Project took place. The National Nuclear Laboratory is located there. Um, and that's where my father worked. Um, my parents were extremely community-minded and you know, really involved both as volunteers and donors and leaders in terms of um, getting involved with philanthropic opportunities. Um, took my sister and I with them ever since we were really small and just kind of became really a part of who we are and a way of life for me. Um, it's not what I thought I was going to do when I started college. I changed majors a bunch of times. I always joke when I was a senior and I was graduating, I got an award from the faculty for outstanding senior. And I used to always say that it was just because I knew more faculty members than any other student because I had changed majors <laughs> so many times. But I actually ended up with a degree in psychology from undergrad. And then I went straight to graduate school at Vanderbilt and got a master's in educational administration, which is definitely in given some context to what I do, but isn't really what I do. And then randomly, I also went to culinary school and graduated from culinary school. So I like to say that I have three degrees and I'm not using any of them. (laughs) You're very well educated in a a variety (laughs) of different areas. Right, and not using any of them, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So you said um, you were, like with your parents and all, you were kind of really involved with nonprofit work since a young age. So, I mean, I guess even though you kind of grew up involved in that, did you see yourself working for it or was it kind of just like that was just like where you were going to end up you just knew that no i i didn't think that i wasn't really sure where i was heading when i started college um i was still really involved with volunteer work even the whole time that i was in college i just never really thought about it as a career choice um then when i was a senior in college i was working in the development office at the university And the senior VP of development um, for the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga said, I'm going to meet with a major donor today. And um, I think he would really like to meet you. You know, you're a student, you're really involved, and you should come with me to meet with this guy. So I went and we had this great conversation and the guy ended up making a major gift to the university. And I said, oh, that that was kind of fun. I, I like that. And. So I started going along on some more 
development calls um, with the leaders at the university. And I was only, I was 20 years old. You know, I, I started college when I was 17. So I was this really young kid tagging along and getting to make these major gift asks. And I thought, you know, maybe this might be the right career for me because it combined a lot of things I liked. It combined communications and business and a little bit of psychology and sales. And um, they introduced me to a program that was at Vanderbilt at the time called Institutional Advancement that really focused on nonprofit leadership and management, everything from grant writing to running capital campaigns. Um, and I started down that path and that's what I've been doing ever since. So is it really just like uh, the type of work that you do with nonprofit, like working in with nonprofit that attracted you to that area? Or I um, guess, what is it that kind of really pushed you towards that? So bottom line, I have to do something um, with my time and energy that feels impactful. And for me, you know, to go to work every day and know that I'm making a difference in someone's life is just really important for my personal satisfaction and motivation. Um, that's why I can never see myself doing anything different than what I'm doing. Yeah. I think that's like a pretty common theme we've talked about on the podcast before that, you know, it's a common theme among people working uh, in nonprofits that, you know, it's more than just like about a paycheck. Um, you know, if it's being able to be impactful to a community, to a group of people or to like your surroundings, just be able to impact it beyond just going to work and collecting a paycheck at the end of the day. It, that is really important. And it's important to me when I'm hiring people too, when I'm interviewing candidates for a position, their resume can be, you know, incredibly um, long and in depth and very impressive. But the first thing I want to hear from them is why they want to work for our organization um, and how they care about the mission. And that is the advice I always give people who are looking for a job in nonprofit is make sure you know the mission and that you care about the mission of the organization that you are interviewing with. Yeah. It's all about that heart, right? Yeah, I think definitely. it's exactly it was really, really long way. And I, I think that's such a cool story from starting, you know, just kind of, kind of figuring out where you wanted to go to now, you know, leading the organization, right? That's, that's a remarkable story. I think there's so many people who, you know, want to try to do it, you know, who, who want to, being a nonprofit and kind of have that goal and that passion and drive, I think it's doable, right? You put that work in, you have that heart and you can, you can achieve it. Right. Yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, it's like passion and heart, a combination of those two things will. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely Absolutely. And you have to find the mission that works for you. You know, um, I mean, there, you know, there's some people out there that their, their passion is all about um, working with animals, you know, I'm also a huge animal person, um, but you have to find that perfect mission. That's the right fit for your personality. Yeah. One hundred percent. If it's wells or whatever it is, I think that's, that's such an important point. Right. I'm kind of going into the actual nonprofit. I know the the story, you know, started right in 1992 with one co-drive in, in, in San Francisco where uh, Beth is from uh, and kind of sprung from there right now. It's huge, right. Doing a lot of different things. You know, what, what, What's more on that story? You know, what does the day-to-day -day look like for One, one Warm Coat? That's why, you know, the, the name One Warm Coat um, is really the perfect name because it started with one woman 
in San Francisco, as you mentioned, 29 years ago, she had a coat that she could no longer use and she knew someone could use it because it was still this really great warm coat. And so she decided, well, there should be a coat drive where people could, you know, drop off coats and we could distribute them to people in downtown San Francisco, where, as you know, you know, there's a large homeless population. Um, so she started this annual coat drive and it grew from this one annual coat drive to within about five years, um, there were coat drives happening in most of the Western states. And then after about 10 to 12 years, there were coat drives happening across the US. So now one more coat, typically has between four and 5,000 coat drives that take place across the United States every year in all 50 states. One thing that often surprises people is that coat drives are actually very necessary and important in really warm locations too. For example, one of our biggest coat drives every year takes place in Tampa Bay area. Um, what happens is the coats that are collected are then distributed through nonprofit partner agencies in the local communities. So what tends to happen is that the coats that are donated are the coats that are needed in that geographical area. So if you're in Chicago, like you guys, um, coat drives are probably collecting really warm, thick, down coats. But if you're in Tampa, they're collecting rain jackets, fleeces, hoodies that are necessary there. One thing, I learned when I started working for One Warm Coat is that a person who is exposed to the elements for a prolonged period of time can develop hypothermia even at 50 degrees. So when we're talking about serving, you know, populations that are at risk, the protection from the elements is really important no matter where you are in the United States. Yeah, definitely. And so I think that mission of being able to provide coats and covering four people is, is definitely really important. I think we're from Chicago, so I think yes. we understand that <laughs> yes. firsthand. Yes, <laughs> exactly. A, a coat is priceless during a polar vortex. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yes. And I think it's a good point is when I picture coats, I only think about, you know, the thick, you know, mm -hmm. only the snow and all that cold, right? right? I don't think about the other ones, light jackets. I'm sure just, just right. as important. To yeah. I think there's like a need in different areas. I mean, like yeah. in Florida, they're probably not dealing with the polar vortex ever, but you know, they have a need for it. It's just a, what that, that need just looks different to them. I mean, that's exactly right. And so when we work with um, a lot of partners, so the way that our coach drives work, there are, and we call them our ambassadors. Those are the wonderful community volunteers who hold coat drives. And those are everything from um, a high school student. We have actually tons of youth who hold coat drives for us. From a high school student who organizes a neighborhood coat drive to large companies like Oracle who hold coat drives every year. Um, and then we also have national sponsors who will hold coat drives in all of their retail locations across the United States. And one of the things we explained to them is that um, the coats that they collect are then distributed locally through our nonprofit partners. So we tell them, don't worry about it. It, it has a great way of working out what you collect um, is going to be what's needed. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it, it's such a big need. If you if, if you go to their website onewomancoat.org, um, kind of list. The, there's a section about listing the need for coats, right? and I think I saw, mm -hmm. I thought 
I think over 200,000 people die from, from the cold, right? And I think absolutely stat that and I did not realize, you know, was like that. One thing that um, really touches my heart about this program is we've always, you know, we focus on providing coats for children and adults, really everyone from infants to homeless people, to veterans, to senior citizens. But I love the idea that we do collect you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of children's coats every year and distribute those to children in need. And previously, we used to always talk about how children really needed those coats for walking to school, for waiting at the bus, or going outside at recess. Um, and this year, while so many children were at home, what we learned is that a number of those children are not living in the kind of places where you and I live. They're in substandard dwellings without the insulation. Um, a lot of times utilities were difficult to pay for this year um, with parents who were you know, dealing with unemployment and um, you know, really stretched budgets this year. So, we were even more concerned this year about getting coats to children because a lot of those children, unfortunately, will wear the coats within their homes. And when they were going to school, they had those nine, eight or nine hours a day when they were in a warm, safe environment. Um, a lot of children didn't have that this year. Yeah, I think it's pretty unique. It's like a side of like the pandemic that you wouldn't have other like really think about, right? Like, even though we're at home and you'd think you're safe at home, there's like even being at home for kids and people who are in substandard housing and, you know, have struggle on that end, you know, providing a warm coat for them is important. It is. And one thing I heard was um, a lot of people didn't have internet for their children to access school. And so they were having to like go sit in a car in a parking lot somewhere so their child could access the internet um, or even, you know, walk to someplace in the neighborhood to access the internet. And, um, and if you're in a really cold environment like Chicago, you really need that coat for that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely do it. And I know you touched about some of the, like one of the programs, right? You touched about the um, coat trap program. Um, what are the, some other programs that you guys do? I know the bulk coat program is another one. Um, what are some other ones that um, you guys organize? So the coach program is our oldest and biggest program. And that is the one that I talked about with ambassadors and our partner agencies. Um, the bulk coat program is a little newer. It's probably about five years old. I'm very proud of the bulk coat program because it's very focused on one of our core values, which is environmental sustainability. So one of the things that I've learned from working with One Warm Coat is that unfortunately there has been a precedent in the past where manufacturers of clothing, um, if they had irregulars or overstocks, the easiest and least expensive way for them to get rid of those was to burn them. Um, which is you know, horrifying when you think about all of the people who could use those items. So we have a really robust outreach program to talk to retailers, wholesalers and manufacturers and say, um, if you have coats or any kind of outerwear, 
hats, scarves, mittens, gloves, anything that's going to keep people warm. Um, please let us match you with one of our agencies who can distribute those items to people in need. So we actually fundraise for money to pay for the shipping to take the coats and other outerwear pieces from point A to where they're needed. Yeah, I, I think that's a uh... I'm sure you guys are like adjusting to programs. I'm sure, you know, when that first program started, it was one thing that you guys need to do. But I'm sure as you've seen, you know, homelessness increase or other issues increase, right, that need just multiplies again and again, right? Yeah, um, exactly. And this year, our agencies reported that the number of clients who were requesting assistance was up by 30 to 50% across the board. Yeah. And, and that kind of goes into the, the next question about, you know, some of the challenges you have faced, right? I think that I'm sure there's logistics tra- challenges, there's funding challenges, especially because last year, right? Um, you know, including COVID, you can add COVID into, this, COVID into this question as well. But what are some of those challenges you've seen throughout your years, um, you know, being at One Warm Coat? So, um, no, obviously, the thing that's in my mind, <laughs> the forefront of my mind right now is this past year with COVID, because we had a 55% decrease in the number of coat drives that happened across the country this year. Um, One of the biggest types of coat drives that happen are employee engagement drives. That's where like large companies and businesses um, will do a coat drive with their employees as a way to engage their employees in the community and do some team building and kind of give their employees that great feeling of doing something impactful. Um, so many companies were closed down or working from home this year that we saw the number of co-drives just plummet. Um, I will say, on the other hand, the silver lining that I saw, I really saw two. One is that we saw even more partnerships happening between nonprofit organizations. We've always had a really high level of engagement with other nonprofits because that's what we do. We provide other nonprofits with the coats that they distribute. Um, But we saw even more opportunities to work with nonprofits this year and really try to bridge the gap. Um, For example, we did a ton of distributions this year with food banks where people could come and get food and coats at the same time and place, um, which made it much easier in terms of COVID planning. Um, But the other silver lining I saw is that people want to help. They really want to help. They saw the news, they saw how many people were in need and they wanted to figure out a way to make a difference. Yeah. I think it's pretty unique being a, like being a nonprofit and partnering with other nonprofits to like right. not only help promote their vision and their mission, but also kind of accomplish yours. And that's pretty unique, you know, partnering. It's actually pretty smart, right? Uh, to partner a coat drive with a food bank, because especially in this past year, I mean, there's probably more people in the past year that have gone to food bank than in the years prior to that. So I think like you're combining these two needs. And then of course, if you think of it, even just like, financially because of what the pandemic caused right you know a lot of households have less income and if now you're assisting them like this is a need they have then i I think another thing to add as well is that those people i mean you're a big organization right those some of those locals local organizations know that population know the people right right better because they're they're in those areas right so i think Mm -hmm. it 
That's exactly it. That's why, that's why our system works because so one thing I I should mention um, is one more code is entirely virtual. So we're very unique in terms of nonprofits because we don't have a headquarters. Um, We don't have a warehouse. We never actually take possession of the codes. Um, What we do is facilitate the collection and distribution of the codes. Um, So I know before the podcast started, Joel and I were talking about One Warm Coat has a really great rating on Charity Navigator. We have a platinum rating. Um, We have a rating as a great nonprofit or a top nonprofit on great nonprofits. We have a 100 um, on Charity Navigator right now. Um, So we are able to do that because we don't have to spend money on rent, utilities, mortgage. Um, We're able to take 97 cents of every dollar and put it straight towards programs, um, which is, you know, really unique to us. I was also made it much easier for us to continue operations when everything closed down because we already operated um, totally remote. So all of our employees are you know, spread around the country. Yeah, perfectly routed to to go COVID, right? Yeah, no, you guys right. are like already right. you guys were yes. ready to go for it. I mean, yes. like everyone yeah, else we, had a big we, adjustment, but you guys exactly. Were we were going. already doing all of our staff meetings via Zoom, and oh. our board meetings are via Zoom because our board members are all across the country as well. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, and now there was a little adjustment with people who had children all of a sudden having kids, <laughs> kids at home, at home with yeah. us too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know Beth, we talked early in the thing at, she, with Buddy, uh, her dog. Um, and I think I'm sure that was yes. an adjustment, you know, the dogs being yes, like, why, yes. why are you home all the time, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's exactly. very tricky. You're Right, you're here to play with me, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the biggest adjustment for them is when everything goes back from other people oh, who have yeah, to go back, go back, they're going to be right. interesting. But a great point you made, I think, uh, on the website, I think great nonprofits, you know, even when you go there, I think the thing that stood out to me was there's so many people who volunteered or who received codes that, you know, speak so highly of it. And I think that's where it's really awesome. There's so many people that are impacted by it, right? It's just those stories and stuff. That's when you know, like, it's really, really going to get there. So, well, it's cool. Like, a lot of, so a lot of nonprofits that we've interviewed on our podcast are like, they make an immediate impact in the communities that they're in. But then, like, a lot of times you don't see the true impact of what they're doing until like years down the road. Whereas, like, with, this particular organization, Beth, like with you guys, you're seeing the impact, like literally the moment that somebody takes hold of a coat, you're seeing the impact right there. You know, And I feel like that's so, so central to our mission and who we are, because not only are we serving the people who receive the coats, obviously that's why we're here, but we're also serving the people who collect the coats and run the coat drives because we're giving them a tool to make an impact in their community and to have that great feeling of not feeling helpless. I feel like with COVID, so many people really wanted to help, but felt very helpless. You know, I want to make an impact in someone's life, but I don't know where to start. And we provide the tools and resources for people to run a code drive and make it super easy and hopefully fun and it's free. And we're serving them, you know, as much as we're serving the people receiving the coats. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. You like are opening the opportunity up for 
people to be able to impact their community. So Right. And they get excited about it and feel great about it. And we have people who have been holding coat drives with one Warm coat for over 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I think there's uh, options on your website as well to, to hold a coat drive, right? To kind of right. do that, to volunteer. I think that that's such a cool opportunity to, to, partner and kind of get involved in different ways. I think that's, yeah. it's a good segue to. Yeah. And I think if you think about like, uh, like just donating a coat, I mean, we all have old coats in our house I and mean, yes. it's something like you're not using it. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are people who are using the same coat for years on end, but then right. even those people at some point are going to have a used coat at home that they're not using that they can get donate. They can give to somebody who does need it. So I think exactly. it's like, it's actually like a really practical, um, way to impact your community. And so we tell people, you know, there's really kind of three levels of involvement with One Warm Coat. Um, number one, just donate a coat or coats. And we make that really easy because on our website, there's a map and you just click donate a coat, you put in your zip code and it tells you all the coat drives that are happening in your area at any given time. Um, we just wrapped up uh, coat drives that were happening in every Eddie Bauer store across the country. They just ended the end of April. Um, but then there's not very many coat drives on the map right now. They start to really populate in the fall, as you can imagine. But you go to the map, you find a place near you to drop off a coat, and you take as many coats as you can clean out. So that's the first way that you can engage. The second way is to actually hold a coat drive. And there's so many different constituencies you could hold a drive with. Mm -hmm. Your colleagues at work, your child's school, your child's sports team, your faith-based organization, your neighborhood. Um, and then the third way is to make a donation. And every $1 donated warms one person. Wow. So you can have a really big impact with your contribution. You know, you donate $50 and you're literally providing warmth, sharing warmth with 50 individuals. Wow. Yeah, yeah I think that tagline of, you know, I, I saw on the website, every dollar donated warms one person. Yeah, right? It's like, awesome. then it's like, okay, I can do a dollar. That's yeah, it's just a dollar. I, yeah, can, yeah. I can give that. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's that's like, awesome. It makes right. a difference. And you can have that feeling of knowing exactly what you're doing with your contribution. Yeah, that's really cool. So obviously, like, you know, one warm quote has this really impactful mission. But I guess, uh, you know, looking to the future, um, do you see that mission kind of evolving or becoming more refined or, um, you know, is the mission just, this is it? Like, So our mission, our mission has been evolving. Um, you know, our mission is always going to be very centered on just providing warmth for people in need. But as I mentioned earlier with the bulk coat program, um, we are focusing a little bit more recently on that environmental sustainability piece. So one thing we're very proud of is every year we keep over 1 million pounds of textiles out of landfills. Yeah. So things that would have otherwise been thrown away, we can provide help provide a use for those. Um, and we're really proud of that. And a lot of our partners are really excited about that element of it too. Um, where I see us going in the future is just really trying to make sure we can provide more of the coats that the agencies need to distribute to their clients. And just, you know, eventually I'd love for our agencies to say, you guys rocked it this year. We got all the coats we need. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, to be able to actually like, fulfill that need. Every um, single one of them. Yeah, that's awesome. But I'm sure it's going to be a constant, you know, constant thing that needs to be solved, right? I think mm -hmm. it's 
especially with the homelessness and there's so many things that will come up i'm sure there's going to be need every single year like non yeah. non-stop right so yeah definitely exactly i agree well beth we just want to thank you for this time just telling us about uh one warm code and uh just uh, giving us a chance to get to know you and what the mission is you guys are wonderful thank you so much for hosting this it was a pleasure talking with you thanks beth Hey guys, we want to thank you for uh, joining and listening to our conversation with Beth um, from One Warm Coat. Uh, you know, such a awesome conversation, and she's such a such a cool lady. I think comment talking to her pre episode and kind of post. I mean, it, the passion she has for this nonprofit, and working with other nonprofits, and kind of getting the word out is so amazing. I think um, you know we can do our part. You know, by just giving that one dollar, right? Like we had talked about, helps keeps one person warm. Yeah, definitely. And it's such a impactful mission that they have. I think like sometimes we really underestimate the need of a coat. But, you know, as we were talking about in Chicago, where we're at, you know, in the winter, a coat is priceless. And I think that kind of goes um, the same for all across the country. Even if it's not cold, they deal with other elements and to be able to protect yourself against that is important. So um, we would really encourage you guys to support this mission. We'll have links to their website and social media in the description below. And if you ever want to contact us, we have our email in the podcast as well. We're excited for our episode next week. We're going to be joined by OPH Rescue. You can find that podcast next Monday. This is Prince and Joel with Giving Connected.